The Fail On Podcast, episode 030. Even when things don't work, right? I, again, I just look at it as data, you know, and, and I'm a very data-driven person because I really feel that great data shapes destinies. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes failing in a hyper-focused way is the fastest way to quit a job, start a business, and live a life of absolute freedom. In a world that only shares successes, we dissect the struggle by talking to honest and vulnerable entrepreneurs, and this is a platform for their stories. And today's story is of Matt Gallant. Matt is a serial entrepreneur who's collected over 7 million leads in various industries scientifically tested well over 10,000 different marketing ideas and generated tens of millions of dollars online and built his dream international lifestyle. He made his first sale on the internet in 1996 and since then has built over 39 profitable websites in various sectors and industries selling eight figures worth of products and services online. He's been called by his peers the mad marketing scientist since he's constantly testing new radical ideas inside his companies. He's a serial entrepreneur, a life optimizer, and a practical spirituality student. We'll be discussing the darkest time of Matt's personal and professional life. You definitely don't want to miss this. The single most valuable skill he has learned to create absolute freedom in his life and how Matt interprets failure and has totally transformed his mindset around it. But first, I've got a lot of travel I just completed, and I'm actually heading to New York on Wednesday. And luckily, all I need to travel with is a backpack for one reason only. It's a shirt from an innovative Toronto apparel company called Unbound Merino. They have clothes made out of merino wool that you can wear for months on end without ever needing to have it washed. You should wash it, but you don't have to. It's a traveler's absolute dream. Checking out the show notes page for an exclusive fail-on discount that you won't get anywhere else. And if you'd like to stay up to date on all the Fail On podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. Let's go back to really the first time somebody gave you money Mm -hmm. in exchange for a product or service that you created. My first product was a service, which is guitar lessons. So I was 16 years old. Started playing guitar when I was 12. And really got into Metallica playing every day. And it got to the point where I could play most of the solos from Injustice for All. And then I did a show at, at the school. And, you know, a lot of people were impressed. So then some people started asking me to give them guitar lessons. So that was my first ever nice product, if you will. Did you want to be a rock star? Yeah. That was yeah, the I wanted idea? to be James Hetfield. <laughs> Badly. <laughs> Desperately. So, uh, yeah, that was the dream for a while. And I uh, did the rock band thing, recorded a CD, and that was fun. And then online, my first sale ever, I was 19, my first year in university, and I was on a Newsnet board, and I just sold a training program. 
I think the guy sent me like 50 bucks in a cinema training program. So that was my first online sale, which was 20 years ago. What was the training program? Or how did, did like, was that your whole plan to put this training program together, then sell no, it online? No, it was just kind of organic. You know, it was a news, it was a Newsnet board uh, and... I was just sharing about training. Got it. And then the guy messaged me. See, like, you're hey, saying Newsnet board. I don't even know what Newsnet is. This, this is <laughs> That's before how forums. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah, this is... But it's the same idea as a forum. Yeah. Okay. It was kind of the original, you know, news news board, bulletin board forums. Got it. Got it. So yeah. you just you posted there. He, he saw it and... Yeah. Just... Yeah, it was just organic sale. I, I didn't kind of run with it, but it definitely gave me a, a strong dopamine hit. I'm like, okay, this is cool. So you're like, wow, <laughs> why is this... Dude, sending me fifty bucks. I don't know this guy. He's yeah. never seen me before. Yeah, it had to be a bit of a mindset shift. It, yeah, it was a mind blower. Yeah. So what? Oh. So once you got that, you're like, like you said, it was like a little dopamine hit. So mm-hmm. what? In your mind, you're like, I gotta do this more. I gotta, I gotta get this out there. What was your thought? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Then my next big marketing experiment was a National Enquirer because mm. <laughs> my aunt had this huge stack, and I'd see these weight loss ads, you know. And I'm like, you know, let's, let's run a weight loss ad in there. So we ran a little classified ad. I think we spent like 150 bucks and we got 130 calls and people would leave their address. It was a logistical nightmare. This was way before the internet. <laughs> so we, so, you know, and I had no copywriting training, but I whipped together like a four page sales letter for a book that had never even created before. But I'm yeah. like, hell to hell with it. We're going to sell it. And if it sells, I'll create the program. Yeah. And I got one sale and the check bounced, but it was a great experiment, you know, and yeah. it kind of fits into the whole topic of your podcast, which is to fail on, you know, to me, it's just data. It's yeah. just experiences. So all of those things lead to, to bigger wins. So that was a cool little experiment because you had the, you had enough knowledge to know you didn't have to create the product before seeing if there was a market, right? You you right. knew, let's do a little test, see yeah. what kind of data we get back before we actually spend hours and money building the product. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think for a lot of people listening, if you're a coach or if you're a thought leader, one of the best strategies, which a lot of guys have done, is to sell the program and then create it as you go. Yeah, based right. on feedback, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I know one guy, he you know, created this deep epic program and had no sales. So that's, that's tough. Which is super common, right? Cause I think, I think most people, and I think it's changing, right? People are getting smarter about how to, how to start a business, how to create products without putting the cart before the horse. But um, I think it's super common for people still to have this huge idea, not validate it, mm-hmm. put the product out there and then it just, you know, it goes to the product graveyard. Absolutely. I think one of the big shifts people need to make, and it's a tough one is to be, market-centered instead of self-centered. Mm. And that's really tough because at the end of the day, we all want to do stuff that we're excited about. We all want to do things that fit our biases. Right. But the, the the challenge is sometimes the market doesn't care about what we love, yeah. right? So uh, the more we can get back into the mindset of the people we're trying to serve and especially – if you become really advanced in what you do and something sometimes I struggle with in certain markets, you forget what it was like and you're completely disconnected from the beginners. Right. And a lot of times that's where the money is. Yeah. No, it's so true. Um, and just to continue the journey, so you, you sold that first product and you're yeah. like, okay, this is there's something to this. What was your journey from there? Well, I didn't really go deep down that rabbit hole at that yeah. time. Uh, the next big journey was College Pro Painters. So I saw this ad 
made make ten thousand dollars this summer. Like that sounds good. So I applied, and to this day it was the toughest interview process I've ever done. It was it was very intense, and got the got the gig, and to this day was probably the, the toughest entrepreneurial test by fire that I've done so for, this, for a lot of reasons. For those of us that, that don't know, what is what is College Pro Painters? Well, College Pro Painters is owned by a company that has mastered the franchising process. And College Pro Painters is a franchise that they've built. That's, they Every year they recruit new university students. They train them on how to build a painting company, like the marketing side, the hiring side, how to paint, how to do estimates, the whole nine yards. And literally within months, they're going to take people from zero to a functional painting entrepreneur. So you were applying, that what you're applying for was to actually have your own painting franchise, essentially. Correct. Okay. Correct. Got it. So that, so that was my first <laughs> real entrepreneurial experience. Yeah. yeah. T- toughest part about that was what? There was a lot of things. First, it was February and we had to go on the streets in Canada, so okay. Canada, and actually knock on doors and say, would you like a free estimate to paint your house next summer? So it's dark. It's literally minus 20, minus 30 Celsius. And you know, you're getting rejected. I mean, you're getting like one lead an hour. Sure. <laughs> so that was just tough on all levels. Oh, yeah. And just facing the fear of cold calling, right? I mean, knocking I'm knocking on doors. on doors, people I don't know. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of fear because I'm selling a product that I've literally never delivered. <laughs> right. And there's always a, there's always a part of my, in my thinking saying, you know, what if I screw this beautiful house up? Yeah. So that was a legitimate fear because right. I've never painted before. Yeah. And then... Were you comfortable, by the way, just going into these cold calls? Or is that something no. you had never done before? Like going never up to done. strangers, trying to sell something that you had? Never done. Okay. Yeah. So that was, again, the training Super getting by out of- fire. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fear facing there. And But then the bigger fear was actually doing the estimate, right? So every weekend, I'd line up two, three estimates. And we had other marketing mechanisms too. We, we had flyers. Um, we had telemarketers. I mean, again, they were very sophisticated company. Right. But every weekend I'd have three, four, five estimates lined up and I had zero sales in my first 10 estimates. And it was 21 franchisees in the, in the Maritimes in Eastern Canada. I was the only guy without a sale. Mm. And I remember I was on my 11th estimate and I, like, I remember the moment I remember where I was and I remember being outside. It was cold. It was Saturday afternoon I'm looking at the house and, and the doubt really hit. And it was multiple layers of doubt. First of all, it was, you know, not just can I paint this house, but is, can I even do this? Like I haven't made a sale yet. So I really had to to dig in and sum it up some warrior spirit yeah. and say, you know, fuck it, let's yeah. go for it. And then I got that first sale and that gave me the, the confidence boost and the momentum mm. to keep going. And then, you know, I, by the end of the, the year of that year, I, w- I closed 33% of all the, the jobs that I pitched, won the most improved manager of the year. And then second year, won that again, it was up to 50%. So, and those first 11 estimates, was there a time where you thought about like, dude, I can't, I'm not going to like, I, it's not going to, this is not my business. I can't do it. Well, that, that, that I was definitely thinking that in that yeah. 11th estimate. Got it. So this is it for you. Like if, you know, I had to get this or you might not have kept going. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it was a real uh, the the doubt was at level ten right there. Got it. Yeah. Got it. And but that's 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 literally where it always happens, right? And like you're so close to a breakthrough. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people decide to quit. Mm-hmm. So obviously you didn't quit. You got most improved mm-hmm. words. You did well. Mm-hmm. So from there, how how far did you take that business? Uh, two years was as much as I could take. Okay. I, I hated the business. <laughs> sure. I hated the business itself. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> so that was enough for me. Then my next real big business experience was organizing hand-to-hand combat, self-defense, MMA events. Okay. So like, I really got passionate about that. I actually bought a product that John Carlton wrote the sales letter for. I didn't know anything about copywriting back yeah. then. Didn't know it was John, but, but later it worked. On, it worked. There was a nickel <laughs> attached and it talked about how this guy was in a warehouse with some neo-Nazi skinheads and in the warehouse, your life wasn't worth the nickel that was pasted on the letter. <laughs> and he beat the shit out it. of two yeah. of them. The third guy ran. He just bought the DVDs and it was like, okay, this is the real deal. This is what I was looking for. So started training the stuff, got really obsessed and contacted him and said, hey, man, I want to train with you. Yeah. And he said, well, you can come to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I did the math. I'm like, well, it, the flight alone is 2500 bucks to fly there. Or I can bring him to Moncton, Canada, start organizing some events. And even if I break even, it's a lot cheaper. Right. So started doing that and I really learned the the art of hustle because, you know, it was just one of those things where I'm pitching all my friends yeah. and it was just trying to get uh, people there. Just old school marketing, old right? Old school guerrilla marketing. Yeah. I wrote some sales letters, again, with no training, yeah. but wrote some sales letters. Did you know what a sales letter was like at that time? Like, 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 did you know the actual, that it was an actual thing that people trained to do? No, but... I had seen enough of them and I knew that on some level intuitively that they worked, Yeah, but I didn't know that there was such a thing called copywriting. Sure. But I was doing it. Yeah. You know, I was doing copywriting without knowing that it was copywriting. Yeah. And, you know, for, I did that for about five, six years. And as I c- connected with him, he was one of the best sellers for that company called TRS Direct. Mm. So that kind of clued me into the bigger universe. And then I started training copyright in a couple years, two, three years after training with him. Got it. So that was some of those, those early entrepreneurial experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you first jump in online fully? Online fully was, well, so I trained with him and then one of my first real successes was we filmed a product with him. It was called anti-grappling. Okay. It was how to fight grapplers. Got it. And that sold five figures, which was... Video course or what? Yeah, with DVDs. Okay. So we filmed it. I actually edited it. I, like, I bought my first Mac, spent 40 hours <laughs> editing the thing. This was probably like 17 years ago, 16, 17 years ago. And uh, yeah, we sold five figures worth of the product. So you know, all those wins help build belief and mm. they build momentum. And I think momentum is one of the biggest keys to success. You know, you can't succeed without momentum. So the art of, of building it, maintaining it is, is something that I learned. And we sold that. And then I had a, I was doing personal training too. So that was my main gig. How did you sell those DVDs, by the way? Again, or- I wrote a sales letter. And he had kind of a little bit of an audience on his okay, message small board. E- okay, and, got it. So we sold it that way. Yeah, yeah we weren't too sophisticated with traffic at yeah. that point. And then I, then I was learning copywriting full time. 
so I studied copywriting about three years before I went full time online. Uh, some of my mentors was John Carlton, which back at like he just got started. Like I was there when he pitched his first ever thing. Got it. And it was a crazy offer because uh, it was unlimited critiques for a year for like I think it was a grand. That's <laughs> it was insane, and I and, and I took full advantage of it. Oh, of course. It. I was writing a sales letter almost every day and sending it to him. He's regretting that, right? He's like, oh, <laughs> get, get this guy out of here. Yeah, and he was shredding me. <laughs> oh, was he? Yeah, he was shredding me. But but then. But is that how? Was that the most valuable part of? I mean, that's it was. crazy valuable to get critique on every sales letter you write every day. It was. It was. And what had happened is, as a personal trainer, one of my clients owned a one of the largest private labeling skincare companies mm. in America. And she says, I want to make a product for you, an anti-aging uh, skincare serum. So she did it. And that was a sales letter that I, I wrote and wrote and wrote and rewrote. And finally, John said, it's awesome. And we launched it. It's, it sold five figures the first month. And we just scaled and scaled. We were doing like 200%, 300% ROI on, mm. on AdWords Got it. right out of the gate. So What year is this, by the way? I cry, like- well, this is, this is like... 15 years ago. Okay. It's like early 2000s. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So AdWords is right for the picking then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's when you could literally bid on like 100,000 keywords and get five cent clicks. Right. Right. So yeah. So that was, that was a big victory. And uh, that was really when I started. That was, that was it after that. I I retired from personal training probably about six or 12 months. Just because financially it was doing so well. And you're like, okay, there's no, like I can scale this. There's no reason to do anything else. Yeah, exactly. And I started just building business after business online, did a natural bodybuilding. Just based on your copywriting skills, right? Because you could copyright. Okay. And traffic. Got it. Uh, yeah, I learned AdWords early, and, and it just fit my natural video gamer tendencies. Sure, yeah. Uh, as as you know as well from being a, a traffic guy, it's just kind of a game at a certain level. Yeah. So so yeah, and then it was just business after business uh, for for a few years. Got it. Yeah, that was it. Like when you're when you fully jumped into the online world, mm-hmm. obviously it wasn't you didn't every sales letter you wrote, you wrote didn't just crush it. You know, mm-hmm. every campaign wasn't profitable out of the gate. Mm-hmm. What were some of the biggest struggles when you went full-time online? Like, did you have any catastrophic just bust failures where you blew a lot of money? Well, we got to rewind a little bit. Sure. The biggest, the biggest, darkest moment was about a year or year and a half before sure. it popped. So <laughs> it was, uh, it was several <laughs> bad events. So first, I got scammed for about seventy five hundred bucks, kind of on a, on a stock trading thing. That that wasn't the end of the world, but you know, of course. it was a course. Yeah, it was just it was just garbage. And then um, this the next thing that happened was I was in New York City, and somebody broke into my first wife and I's uh, apartment, and I had a safe with about twenty five grand in cash, and I had like four or five grand video equipment, mm. and as they jacked everything, that hurt. And then the, the the most painful piece was I hired, and I'm not going to name names out of out of respect, but I hired a guy who was my my idol at the time uh, in marketing. Yeah. And I went to see him and spent three days with him, and you know, like it was it was a fun experience. And basically, long story short, he basically made me write the sales letter, yeah. change four words, literally four words. Charged me fifteen grand. We launched it, and it, and it wasn't. He was he completely veered me off course to what do I wanted to do, 
And because I wanted to get a personal training and basically said, no, no, let's write a sales letter to get you more, more clients. Right. And uh, it bombed. Yeah. Right. So that that was my darkest moment because like those three things happened uh, relatively in a short span. And just to see my hero, my idol, basically take advantage of me, screw me, was 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 definitely a painful moment. And the doubt was at level 10. Also, that was another kind of level 10 doubt moment. But I called a copywriting friend of mine, Dan Gallup, who, uh, Doperman Dan, and he said, dude, like, you've got the skills, man. Like, you... So, that's when I went from looking outward for the keys to success to mm. saying, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. Like, if... If my hero just failed me, I can't look outside myself. Yeah. So that's when I just turned the corner and a few months later launched that letter that, that launched my career. So that was, again, the darkest moment for sure in terms of just my marketing journey. It's a huge shift too. Like I have a pretty similar story in terms of going to somebody for copywriting. Don't need to mention their name, but I dropped my partner and I dropped about 50K. Mm -hmm. As you know, copywriting can be insanely valuable mm -hmm. or it can be just an absolute bust. Yep. Even from some of the quote unquote biggest names out there. Absolutely. You know, they can write a sales letter that bombs. Yep. And in this case, that's what happened. Yeah. I don't know if it's all their fault though, because we had a lot of stuff on our end that was, mm -hmm. it could have been points of failure as well. But huge, lear huge learning lesson as well for, for me is look inward. You know, not everybody has a silver, like has a magic bullet for you that will just make the product work mm -hmm. or make it sell. Right. So thanks for sharing that. It's, that's uh, it's an important lesson because people I feel like look for magic bullets all the time for what's going to get them over that hump when sometimes you just have to sit down and buckle up and do the work. Yeah. It's not just buckling up and doing the work. Obviously that's a huge part of it, but it's actually saying to yourself, you know what? I've got what it takes. Yeah. Like I don't need another course, another coach, another program. I don't need this guy. It's to say, okay, you know what? I've done enough training. I've done enough learning. Let me just take what I've got and put it out there. And that's the scariest thing because, you know, you actually have, you're pulling the lottery ticket out of your wallet and you're looking at if you've got the winning numbers or not. Because as long as the lottery tickets in the wallet, you can make yourself believe, you know what, maybe I'm a winner, mm. right? But as soon as you pull it out, you're a winner or you're a loser. So that's the scariest part about getting out there, but you've just got to do it if you want to succeed. Yeah. You know, you got to get the baby out. <laughs> so on that note, obviously a lot of people listening probably want to start a business, maybe you're in a job. How do you know when enough's enough? Like, how do you know when you've consumed enough content or information or education to know, okay, now I can go test something or do something, do an experiment. I think you want to start doing experiments day one. Mm. I think the most powerful thing that I've ever done, the most, the most valuable skill I've ever built is the skill of structured experimentation, optimization. Nothing's made me more money than that. And it's not difficult. Can you give an example? Sure. I mean, split testing is the the rawest example. Yeah. And for people that are listening that don't know it, that's you take two ideas, maybe you got two different images of yourself or two different headlines for a sales letter and you just rotate them and the software tells you, hey, this one doubled your sales over this version. That's very typical. So that process is by far the, the, the most powerful thing anybody can do. 
But even just writing a blog post, that's an experiment, right? Uh, putting out a video, a, a Facebook live video, doing a YouTube video, those are all experiments. And what I've learned is that people that have a bias towards action yeah. instead of a bias towards overthinking, analyzing, worrying, you, <laughs> the people that are successful are just always action driven. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you want to start taking action as soon as you can. And that's always been, I think, one of my big key successes is I just the level of integration. So if I go to a workshop on Monday, not that I'm going to fully integrate and fully you know, launch everything, but how, what can I put into action right away? You know, the speed of implementation yeah. is, is critical. Yeah. You know, so instead of thinking about how much stuff can I learn, it's really about what percentage of what I've learned can I integrate and execute on. Yeah, I love it. Not that I listen to Tony Robbins all the time, but I was listening to one of his like online courses just in my on my phone while I go run, right? Mm-hmm. And one thing that he does in pretty much every lesson he says, he's like, stop here, go take action on this right now, right. which is huge because I, I think most courses don't do that. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, it's just constant education without action. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's really the idea of what fail on is. It's if, you know, if you're, you can't fail if you're not trying. Mm-hmm. You can't fail if you're not taking action. So yeah. it's just go fail. Mm-hmm. Go take action and screw up, learn from it, and then keep iterating until it works. Yeah. But that's I love that. So thanks uh thanks for sharing that. So just going along in the uh in the online journey, what are you working on today? What are you are you still creating new products, creating new services? Yeah, so <laughs> I'll just share the the companies that um, I'm a part of right now. So one, and and I've got a couple that have been around for over a decade. One is called Bioptimizers. And basically, it's healthy, high performance. We're focusing a lot on fixing digestion. So it's a supplement company. It started off, it was information focused on natural bodybuilders. And we just evolved. And and we are where we are now. So Bioptimizers.com. You know, that's always been one of my personal passions. I love just, mm. you know, optimizing my own body, sure. hacking, all of that. Then another one is Guitar Controls. So that's been around for over a decade. We've got over 70 different instructional products, teaching people how to play just about every instrument except the kazoo. <laughs> and uh, that's fun. So I'm also a musician. And so again, I'm always about taking the things I'm passionate about and trying to monetize that. Sure. Then I'm partners with Dawson Church. He's an incredible human being and he does what's called the energy psychology certification and everything I'm passionate about. So I do the marketing for him. Then started mattgallant.tv uh, about 18 months ago. So that, that, that's my biggest mistake I've ever made was not doing that like <laughs> 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, right. We can talk about that. I had some fears there, but mm. conquered them and here I am. So not and there's no intent to monetize that. Right. But one thing that I do do is pay for performance optimization deals where I take funnels that are already working and through my abilities, my skill sets, my data, I make them work better, take a small cut of the increased net profit up to a certain point that yeah. I'm done. So that's taking off and that's a lot of fun. And then I have a software startup called Infinite Profit Solutions where we're building the ultimate tracking platform for for media buying so you know you yeah. know media buying so there's there was nothing that could do what we wanted it to do uh, we've been working it for three years so that'll be 
released soon. It's called Gold Lantern. It's really cool. Cool software. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll, you have to share it with me. Yeah, once it comes out, I will. What are so your, that sums up the gist yeah. of what's going on. So yeah, it's a lot going on. Yeah. So what what are your what's your day to day involvement in these different companies, and what are you mainly responsible for? Is it more advisory? Is it? Well, I'm I'm co owner in all of them, yeah. and my role is the visionary. So one one book I highly recommend everybody listening to reads because because I, I figured this out on my own, but it took me seven eight years, and it's called Rocket Fuel, and it describes these two fundamental roles and a business, which is the visionary and the integrator. Mm. And when the visionary starts doing integrator work, it becomes a painful experience. It gets a drain because, you know, visionaries are not good with details. They're not good with the day-to-day. They're more vision, strategy, creative ideas. Let's let's just create new stuff. The integrator is the opposite, you know, not necessarily going to look at the future, not the person you want to tap into to be creative. They like the details. They Systems, like processes. Exactly. Yeah. So, so now everything that I do, it's about finding the right integrator, partnering up with them so that they do their thing yeah. and I do my thing. Yeah. And, and the reality is as a visionary, as, as an integrator, I can keep about five to 10 integrators busy mm. with you know 10 to 20 hours a week yeah. and that's with them having teams just because like in an hour let's say I come up with five game plans I mean it can take a hundred hours to fully right. execute right I mean it's just the nature oh of it. yeah so that's what I try to do again optimize I love optimizing so that that's a little more hands-on I still am involved in the copywriting side so but now it's more me working with copywriters, bringing them in, giving them the idea, taking what they've done and and editing it okay. and working with it. So I don't write as much. Because but you you look at the copy and shift things and correct. switch angles and hooks and correct. Okay. Yeah, and it's also what I've found. It's really about finding the right copywriters for the right gigs. Sure. Because for every market, there's a style and a voice. That's yeah. going to work well. And I'll give you an example. So we're really focusing on on digestion, which the audience is a little older. So, and a lot of it's women. And the reality is, I just couldn't get myself in the mind of a sixty year old <laughs> right, woman. Right, right. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. So what did I do? Well, I hired a sixty five year old copywriter, and she beat, she crushed my control. <laughs> so that's that's what. I'm doing as a strategy now is because I think the ultimate edge is to be your market. Oh yeah, it's very hard. I mean, maybe if you're some incredibly you be like an actor, person. right? You have to almost be like a actor. Yeah, like a theater actor. You put yourself in somebody else's shoes, like to that extent, like a Johnny Depp. You know, right? Where right. He just plays really extreme roles. Right. So that's interesting. So you're looking for people that are already in that market to actually. You found a 65 year old female copywriter that is talented. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I got like 20 applications for that gig. And when I saw hers, I'm like, that's the voice. So cool. Yeah. So, and she, she, she beat my control. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love getting crushed by 65 (laughs) copywriters. That's great. If you had to pinpoint somebody who's had the most profound impact on your life, whether it be business, personal, it doesn't matter. Just who's, who do you say? Like if you wouldn't be here today without that person. Yeah, I got to go to David Hawkins, um, not to be confused with Richard Hawkins. David 
Hawkins wrote uh, Power versus Force, the eye of eye, transcending the levels of consciousness, letting go. You know, I was I was really a dedicated agnostic for a long time, for about 10 years. And he got me off that road and, and got me back into spirituality, which has been the most fruitful thing I've done as a human being. So I got to go to David. Mm. Yeah. How, how's it? How's it shifted your life? <laughs> shifted my life on every on every level. You know, again, I was a dedicated agnostic. Got divorced at 28. You know, went off the rails, right? So in terms of what <laughs> drinking, drugs, dr- drugs and alcohol, party. sex. I mean, yeah. you know, all of it. So I, I moved to Panama, and that was just, uh, you know, it was just uh, gasoline on the fire. Oh, it was gasoline, napalm, kerosene. <laughs> it was all of the above. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And finally, you know, I just I just crashed and burned like four years after that. So it was like a five-year crazy run. It, it was kind of building up before then. But yeah. on some level, the, the marriage kept uh, sure. kept it on, on, on yield. But yeah, the wheels came undone. And in what in what way? Sorry to dig into this hard. <laughs> no, no, it's but, all good, man. Yeah. Um, well, I was I was partying like six days a week. Like, was there hard. a was there a point where you, like you just couldn't get out of bed one day, or like what was like you said the wheels came off? What's that point where you're like, dude, I can't do this anymore? Well, <laughs> here here was the challenge, and here's why it took longer than yeah. maybe some was. I was I was continuing to make money online because yeah. of the nature of the stuff. So money wasn't the problem. So you could get away with it. Right? Yeah, I could get away with it. It wasn't health issues because I had the health codes to repair myself. Got you know, it. I was using Japanese water technologies and enzymes and probiotics and blending super shakes. So no matter how, and believe me, there was some crazy hangovers, but I could yeah. get myself out quick. So it wasn't that. So what it really was, was a social, emotional, spiritual bottom mm. where, first of all, social, that was completely unmanageable. What would he mean? <laughs> well, my behavior, what I would say, you know, I, I'd be hurting the people around me. Got it. You know, hurting friends. Just being being an asshole, or what, like what? Or yeah, just... being being an asshole, being being out of control. There there was no filters. Okay. Zero, so if somebody pissed filters. you off that you, they would know it immediately, or well, was that the situation? For, fortunately, I wasn't too violent, so there wasn't that. Yeah. Yeah, there was there wasn't too many filters. Got it. And uh, completely out of control with with women. So that that was really just but, going through women, just new women. <laughs> well, yeah, it was it was it was a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of that. But at the end of the day, it was just you know somebody sat me down. It was like five in the morning, and uh, I had some done some stuff I wasn't too proud of, hmm. and she just revealed kind of who who had become, and the weight of it hit me. It was like the dam broke and I saw I saw what I was in denial about for years and years and I couldn't deny it anymore. So that that was the turning point. Well what was it that you're in denial about? Sorry I'm asking. No, I'm it's going good, at man. It. <laughs> uh, I was in denial about the fact that I was I was an alcoholic, I was a drug addict, I was yeah. out of control. Uh, my life was unmanageable. Was it, I, I was self centered. Was it hard for you to admit that you're an alcoholic? Yeah. Because, I mean, in your eyes, you're probably I, just partying, right? It's not, yeah, it's it not just, like... Yeah, I had exactly. A, I see. And, and I could I could stop drinking and just switch to other things. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't like I was drinking every day. Right. But when I would drink... It was to the extreme. Yeah. yeah okay. and, and it was always like that. Yeah. So, it was like 20 years of denial, really, sure. if I look back. So, yeah, that was... Uh, 
that was the big turning point. You know, then then I started a spiritual journey through that point. So it's been eight years. Got it. Do you still drink? No, eight years, man. Just sober. Congrats, man. Yeah. And I feel like with a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs for whatever reason, like very addictive personalities, very strong-willed. Yeah. And I see that a lot, right? It, right. It's, it's just a normal thing where you do something, you go 100, <laughs> you're going all the way, yeah. going 100 miles per hour. Yeah, I think our brains, you know, about 33% of the population have people have brains that are predispositioned to being addicts, alcoholics, whatever yeah. you call them. Not that everybody becomes that, but I think if you look at the brain of an entrepreneur, we are definitely even way higher than that because, yeah. you know, all the, the wiring that makes us entrepreneurs also makes us prone to that. Sure. And not again, not everybody develops that and yeah. becomes, you know, it takes time. It takes some effort. Right. <laughs> but, but for those of us that, that do, there's, there are, there are ways out, but yeah, definitely entrepreneurs do not have a normal brain. And I think also in today's society, I mean, I, I grew up with video games right out of the gate yeah. and I think that also changes the wiring, you know, because you, we're so dopamine driven and, you know, I didn't grow up with social media. So I'm looking at the millennials and it's another dimension of that. Right. So I think that, yeah, I think there's going to be probably more addiction uh, than ever. I mean, social media is probably the biggest addiction oh, in the crazy. world right now. Yeah. You know? No, I totally agree. So what's that spiritual practice actually look like? Because mm -hmm. obviously it, it's done a world of good for you. So I'd be really curious to see how it's changed you and what, what it actually did. Well, yeah, it's been a complete, complete psychic change. Yeah. Um, I'm just not the same human being on any level that I was. So as far as the spiritual practice, yeah, it's a lot of things. Um, you know, it always starts with admitting the truth, right? It always starts with awareness of the problem. So awareness of the problem and then admitting, you know what, I've got an issue with this, got an issue with that. Any change starts with that. So the, the, the problem is that a lot of people, and I was in that group, believe that I can change alone, right? In fact, if I don't change alone, I'm weak. Mm. But what I've found is that the rules, if you will, are the opposite when it comes to spiritual things, where if I surrender, that's the key to victory, you know, when it comes to, again, I trained fighting for a long yeah. time, you, you, you don't quit. You know, you choke me out, I'll pass out, I don't care, but I won't quit. So, and you know, business is like that to a certain degree. But when it comes to spirituality, again, the rules are different. So it's really about surrendering to to a higher power. And there's a great book on this called Letting Go yeah. by David Hawkins. And uh, it's, it's, one of, it's a masterpiece. And it's really about learning the process of surrendering and surrendering our will in, again, our self-centeredness or self-seeking to, to a higher power because I just couldn't do it. You know, I had tried for 20 years to stop and I'd stop at times. And, and, and I listen, I put like strings of six months, nine months, but I'd be white knuckling it. Like I was thinking and jonesing mm. about the next time. Yeah. The only time that that stopped was when I literally got on my knees and I surrendered at depth. And the metaphor was that 
it was like I was on the edge of a building and I just let myself fall like we did when we were kids where parents or whoever would catch us. And I just said, God, like, I can't do this, but I, I believe you can. So I'm falling in your hands. And that was the the process internally. And boom, the obsession's been lifted and it's never come back ever since. Mm. So, I so, mean, that's an incredible spiritual experience. Then the process of cleaning house, you know, and I think that that's really where you start changing as a human being, you know, and so <laughs> there's a lot to this and it's one of the things I've probably done the most work on in the last eight years. But first is it's becoming aware of all the resentments, all the fears, all the traumas that have occurred in my life and actually start cataloging that. And once you start cataloging that, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that happen. First of all, you start taking responsibility for each thing in your life. So if something happened, like what's my part in that? And that's really empowering. I, I you know, you go from being a victim mm. to actually owning all of it. And when you own all of it, you again, you just get out of this weak victimhood mindset into an empowered person and that that starts changing everything. And from there, you can make a list of your character defects. So I've got like 30 plus things on my <laughs> list, right? And, you know, it, it keeps it keeps growing. And, you know, that awareness, when you're aware of your character defects, it allows you to manage them better. It allows you to, on a business function, on a business level, you can bring people in that Again, have the strengths where you're weak, complementary. So it's not to say like these are my character defects. This is what I. This is what I. Like, it's not to pull you down. It's basically just it's for awareness. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, it's for awareness. It's for to be able to manage them. Got it. It's to again to. to it's not like they're not there. Yeah. You know, if you're not acknowledging them, so <laughs> <laughs> might as well acknowledge them. Might as well acknowledge them because right. you, you got a better chance of of managing them. Then. This is really where the, the, the worm changes and that's when you start cleaning house, not just in your own house, but undoing the damage that you've done. So, you know, making amends and actually going to people, you know, paying off your debts, you know, going to people that you screwed a long time ago, not just financially, but maybe you, you did something and owning it and saying, you know what? I recognize who I was at that time was was a, a self-centered asshole and I just want you to know that you know I'm I'm really sorry for that and I've changed you know and I recognize that that was not a a good way to live. So did you do this just like yeah I, I did How many like how many people did you have to go back to and be like that was me? Pro- probably probably 30 plus. Oh wow. 30 plus, yeah. All pretty uncomfortable conversations or were you yeah, okay but, with Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> After the first one, it's so – you get so lit up. Because it, it's freeing? It's freeing. It's cleansing. Yeah, man. You're, you're, you're kind of high. So mm. yeah, there's a little bit of uncomfortableness, but you, you become so motivated by the, <laughs> the oxytocin, the serotonin, the dopamine hits you're getting yeah. from doing it. And it feels so good that it's not that difficult. So, so what was the shift between before you started those 30 calls, 30 plus calls to the end where you're like, 
pretty much just clean house. Like I just, I just apologize for yeah years and years and years of wrongdoing to people. Mm-hmm. Like what was the difference between before and after? Wow. You're really cleaning karma. Yeah. You know, and you're really undoing a lot of bad karma. You know, people say karma is a bitch. Well, it's a bitch if you want to just let the universe come collect what you owe it. But it's actually really awesome if you proactively go and pay your debts. Mm -hmm. And that's really what that's about. So all kinds of amazing things started happening, like business-wise, like even just, you know, I started paying off my debts and I had people that owed me money from 12, 13 years ago that had zero contact paying me back. It was really, yeah, really miraculous. There's some, there's some really um, mind-blowing things that happened. I'll share one thing. This, this, is, this was a mind-blower. So one guy, we, when we were recording our album, we hired this bass player. <laughs> Complete asshole thing to do, right? So he drops three grand uh, to be part of the album, and the, the you know unfortunately the guy just wasn't very good, yeah. and the producer's like you got to let him go. So this is three weeks late after he dropped three G's, we let the guy go. So what's he doing? He's paying you to be the bass player? No, no. Well, we we were paying for the album. Okay. So we were all contributing. Got it. Got it. So he joins the band. He contributes. Gets kicked out three weeks later. Got it. So, you know, and the, and the money's gone. The money's so he didn't. You know, he didn't ask for the money back, or did he? Well, it didn't matter. There was no money to be given at the time. It was already went to the studio. Yeah, it was already in the studio, and, yeah. and, and et cetera, et cetera. And and I lost touch with the guy, and that one bothered me. So I'm looking for the guy, right? Like I'm on Facebook, I can't find it him. Bothered you because he dropped three k? And well, didn't... yeah, it was just a, such an asshole thing yeah. to do. That yeah, it, you know, that one was was gnawing on my consciousness. So. I look for him on Facebook, can't find him. Look at it, look in the white pages. And finally, I'm I'm literally about to hire a detective to find this guy because I'm that I'm that determined to sure. click to clean house, right? Yeah, yeah. So now I'm from New Brunswick, which is a province, right? Like mm. a, a state, if you will. Yeah. And that's where I, I knew him. So I'm in Montreal, which is a completely different state, different city, visiting my brother. We walk out of a Thai restaurant, and there's the guy in his bicycle. No way. Yeah. And you recognize him immediately? Of course. Yeah. And I run up to him, and I say, dude, I've been looking for you. I got some money to give you. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that- How I, blown away was this guy? Probably not as blown away as I was, because, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I run the odds on things, and I ran the odds now, and I'm like, what's the odds on this one in 100 million or something? Yeah. I, it was just a spiritual moment, right? Because- right. It just defied. It just defied the odds. And was this like the, at the same time that you were thinking about hiring a detective? Yeah, like yeah. You were actively searching for. Yeah. It wasn't like you were searching like two years ago. Then you yeah. randomly saw this guy. This is like in the thick of it. In the thick of it. Oh wow! So yeah, so that was awesome, and uh, that that was incredible. Kind of again, spiritual experience. Yeah. So yeah, no. After you do that, you just you just become a different person. You just you're kind of a. You're kind of fearless in a different way, not fearless in terms of I'll fight anything, right. but you're just fearless in the sense that you can kind of look any man in the eye and there's nothing, there's nothing inside that you're trying to, there's nothing to hide anymore. Mm. So I really got this place, yeah, where there's just nothing to hide and that was a cool place. So from there, and this is, this is more in the last two, three years, I've been really getting into meditation and neurofeedback and using those tools to clean house to another level. Mm. 
and re and, and revisiting those traumas and fears and actually using the technology to completely erase it out of my nervous system. And that's been the most powerful thing possibly ever because you're, you're literally not just eliminate it, eliminate it cognitively and intellectually and you can reframe things and that's cool. Yeah. But when you're pulling it out of the limbic system, your emotions, wiping it clean out of the nervous system, then there's nothing triggering you anymore. How are you able to do that? So let's talk about neurofeedback. So what neurofeedback is, is you, you wire your brain with electrodes and you're instantly getting feedback based on the reward that you set it up on. So most people, when they're operating, they're in beta, right? That's, you know, relatively fast brain waves and you function in that. It's great for executive functioning and business and it's awesome, right? But you actually cannot do effect, the, the research says and, you know, in people's experience says that it's impossible to do effective forgiveness when you're in beta. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is slow your brain waves down to alpha, which is way slower. You know, beta is like, you know, 12 to 38, which is where most people are in the high zone. Alpha is 8 to 12. So it's way slower. And when you meditate and you meditate and you achieve a good state, that's yeah. typically where you'll be. The thing is with neurofeedback, you can achieve those states literally, I mean, I'm going to say a hundred times faster because the best metaphor I can give you is imagine if I drop you in a city you've never been, yeah. middle of the night, yeah. and you got no GPS, you got no maps, and you're blindfolded, and I say, meet me in this location. It's going to take you a long <laughs> time to find me, yeah, right? Yeah. Like a long time. Like it's just trial and error. Right. And unfortunately, when you start meditating, it's kind of like that. Yeah. There's nothing telling you, hey, man, you're getting closer. Good job. Oh, it's hard. I, I try. It's hard. Right. Like, I struggle with it. Right. And, and there's nothing telling you you're doing a bad job. Yeah. So you might be doing a horrible yeah. job and you're thinking there's you're no rocking. feedback. Right. I get it. Yeah. There's no feedback. Right. Now, imagine same scenario. I drop you. You're blindfolded. Yeah. But you got headphones on. And as you're walking, I'm mm-hmm. saying closer, closer, you're warmer, warmer, or you're colder, colder. You're going to figure out how to get to where you want to go. Way faster. Yeah. Way faster. And that's what neurofeedback does. You can set it for alpha. And as your brain is producing more alpha, you're getting the feedback of, yes, yes, do more, do more. And you're getting audio feedback or tactile feedback. Mm. So again, your brain is learning a hundred times faster Along with the neurofeedback, you're actually following a very structured forgiveness process. So, and the combination, and what there's, there's a lot of things that happen when your brain slows down. So, you're, the veil between your conscious and subconscious start dissolving. Hmm. And actually, as you slow down even more, if you go to theta, which is slower than alpha, it, it really dissolves. Hmm. And if you slow down even down to delta, and that's when that's the sleep, the deep sleep zone. But right. some people can do it consciously, wake, awake. It dissolves it even more. Where there's, you know, you're not even sure yeah. what dimension you're in, kind of thing. But the point is, you're you're really accessing the subconscious trauma. Yeah. And what we do, you know, what, what's a trauma? So a trauma is first of all, it's unexpected, sure. right? Like you came home and your girlfriend said it's over. 
right. you didn't see it coming. You thought it was the greatest relationship yeah. ever, right? Unexpected. Second, it was dramatic. It's a dramatic emotional experience, yeah. right? It's like, oh my God, you feel your heart sinking. You feel crushed. The third thing that makes trauma happen is that you don't have the resources to deal with it in the moment. And typically, the fourth thing is that you feel alone. Mm. So those four things are what create trauma. They can be fears. They can be a resentment. Right. They can be sorrow. Like to me, I'm I'm classifying all that stuff as just traumas now. Yeah. And a lot of those happen early on. You know, as a kid, childhood, right? As a teenager. And, you know, even as adults. And the problem is that unless we're trained, and most of it, like, I never got training yeah, in this, right? Not. Like, <laughs> there was no EQ training in my yeah. household. So I'd had, I never had the tools to, to process it, right? So again, that's what creates a trauma. So what happens is we bury that stuff into an unconscious memory system. And then in today's world, you know, let's say your current girlfriend says something that reminds you of the last girlfriend that crushed your soul. It triggers that same emotional reaction that you didn't process. And now it affects you in the moment, right? So what neurofeedback and the forgiveness work does is you can actually erase all of those old traumas. And there's nothing that triggers you in today's reality. Mm. So you become a pretty clean human being. So that's what I've been working on the last couple of years. Very cool. So how does it actually work? Like, like, are we talking like something you're listening to? Like what actually is neural feedback? Like that could so, be a super stupid question. No, 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 no. It's a great question. Um, well, there's three types and, and mostly there's visual audio and tactile, but to do alpha, you have to do eyes closed. Okay. Like, you know, so it's mostly audio. Yeah. Audio and tactile. So literally, I have a system at home and <laughs> it's Toothless the dragon from uh, my, my pet dragon. And when I produce more alpha, he vibrates. Okay. And I have audio headphones. And when I produce more alpha, I get more white noise or bells mm. when my brain's in, in what's called synchrony. That's, that's what it is. So... As the bells get louder, as the white noise gets louder, as the dragon's vibrating more, yeah. that means I'm producing more and more alpha. Got it. So I know I'm on the right track. Got so it. keep so that's doing your that. feedback. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Got it. Sorry. No, Just no, it's good. no, no, no experience with it. So it's interesting. And it's been a huge, it's been a huge uh, game changer for you? Uh, yeah. The biggest game changer, actually, the research on, on neurofeedback is mind blowing. So, Memory improves, intelligence improves. I mean, I'm not even talking. I mean, I could go on and on just in terms of the life benefits, like with my wife, right. with my friends, business wise, relationships, relationships. But brain function, um, you know, they've done IQ tests. They, most people went up about 12 points. I know personally, I don't know if my IQ went up 12 points, but my ability to to learn, my brain processing speed. Mm feels like it doubled. My mental endurance probably doubled or tripled where before, if I'm working, I'd, I'd feel like I need a break after maybe 45, 60 minutes. Yeah. I can go three, four hours now and maintain peak focus. I was never able to mm. do that before. My short-term memory was really starting to go down. Yeah. And I've, I feel my memory right now 
in the last two years is as sharp as it was when I was a teenager. Mm. Obviously, all the drugs and alcohol didn't help, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, I feel I've been able to reverse a lot of that. So, and, yeah. and again, the research shows that that's possible. And I'm doing a lot of gamma neurofeedback, which correlates directly to intelligence. So, there's all kinds of amazing things. Creativity goes up significantly yeah. too. So, so, for people listening that are like, oh, this sounds super interesting, mm-hmm. how do they find out more about it? Well, by the time this is published, I think there's going to be a blog post on cool. my on my site about this. So that means you got to publish it. Pressure's on. Yeah, Matt Galant TV. I wrote it. It's already written. written. Okay, so awesome. My, my, just hasn't, just yeah, not published. Yeah, it should be published in the next few days. So we'll link it to the show notes once. Yeah, yeah. Once Perfect. this is published, people can check it out. Yeah, you can check it out. And there's there's two facilities that I highly recommend. And there's there's just a couple of questions that I like to ask people before I recommend to one or another based on their goals. Got it. But you know, I've my goal is to train with all the best guys out there and, yeah. and to see what's going on, and and eventually probably uh, do my own yeah my own place in Panama. Very cool, yeah. very cool. So obviously, this is the Fell on podcast. How would you define failure? Well, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be a defiant guest for a second because yeah. when I when I train fighting, one of the rules of the system of Comrade Boss was there's no failing, there's only stopping. Yeah. And that's literally, that's literally wired in my nervous system. So, and when you're, when you're fighting, <laughs> you learn quickly that like missing is normal. Yeah. I mean, the best fighters in the world might have a 50% sure. success rate, right? So 50% of the time they're hitting air or they're getting blocked. So now for the untrained person, right? Let's say I took somebody off the street and we started yeah. tra- hitting pads. Let's just right. hit pads, Right. And I start moving the pads around. I start missing the pads. Yeah. The normal thought is, "Oh shit, I missed the pad," because I remember that's what I thought. Yeah. You know, when when he started doing the pad drills with me, and you know the the drills get harder and harder, and then you start missing pads. I would start thinking, "Shit, I missed the pad." But see, that's what you got to obliterate the "oh shit" part. Mm. Completely irrelevant, and and I mean in fighting. It's 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 a it's a detriment. Yeah. Right? You there's no time to think. And you know, you just go back to nature and I love watching animals and I mean you watch a tiger, if he swipes and misses, like does he say, Oh shit? No. I better go home like <laughs> and and try again no, maybe is, next week. Has I mean, another swipe, right? Yeah, there's no stopping. Yeah. There's like there's failure does not exist at all. Yeah. So for me, Again, that's literally just been hardwired into me where the only time where I feel I've failed is if I stop. Mm. And So how do you know when – because obviously there's certain times where you need to stop because what you're doing correct, might just not work. It might not be the right business. So how do you know whether or not <laughs> you should stop? Well, I'm, I'm laughing because you know, earlier on that was a challenge. But yeah. <laughs> again, I've got an addictive personality. So, so you want to make it work no matter what, right? Yeah, yeah. Even though the business probably isn't the right fit. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a that's a tough one at times. But, you know, even when things don't work, right? I, again, I just look at it as data. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm a very data driven person because I really feel that great data shapes destinies. I've mm. experienced it with my sleep, yeah. again, with neurofeedback, with my businesses, where I would have been lost. In fact, I was lost sure. without the data. So, you know, let's say we launch a cold traffic campaign today, right? And it's a new product and we go on AdWords and we spend money. Yep. 
and let's say we're losing 70 cents on the dollar, like most people would be saying, holy shit, we're failing. I'm, I'm like, you know what? This is pretty good, you know, because we just got to optimize our way to success. Yeah. Now, if we launch it and it's donuts, it's zeros, yeah. that's, that's when I'm going to take a hard look. You don't have say, you don't have much data. Like you're not you're not getting any sales, right? Well, that's when I'm going to say, okay, this yeah. is a failure, right? You know, this this we we missed the mark here. Yeah, like either the product sucks, the funnel sucks. We picked the right audience. Yeah. I don't know which one of the three or all of the three, sure. but we have failed, right? So that's when I, I go to failure. Is when when it's when I feel that I can't optimize my way to success. That's when I start thinking I failed. And you can only optimize your way to success when you have some positive data points. Is what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. You Got need it. you need something. Yeah. Right. Give me a little something. Right. A to, glimmer of a glimmer of hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got to show me a little bit of light because otherwise it's just yeah you you can't you can't multiply zeros. Right. Right. Like yeah. No. <laughs> you know we can keep adding traffic, keep adding visitors, but it's just going to keep. Especially up. if you don't know if you have three different variables: the traffic, the offer. You know. You have different variables, the ad. Right. So if you don't if you can't pinpoint which one of those is, which one of which one of those are the failure points, then you're Right, but let's go back to that scenario. So in that case, I'll hit the lead, right? I'll I'll and again this is assuming that I'm I'm focused and committed to right. that audience, yeah. right? So let's start over. New sales letter. You know, let's start a new campaign because you know that didn't work. So yeah. that's when I reboot. So did I really fail? Well, I certainly, again, learn, I learned what didn't work. Yeah. Right. So yeah, failure for me is really, it's not a word that like comes up a lot. And it's not to say that everything's a success and it's not to say that there's not a lot of struggles because yeah. there is, but it's really a reframe into it's just data, it's experience, and again, there's no failure unless I'm stopping. like it. Yeah. So obviously, the whole point of this is to get people to actually start doing stuff, like we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. to start trying experiments, yeah. to actually get out there and take action. Mm -hmm. So with that said, a big piece of that is getting outside your comfort zone and kind of getting comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Mm -hmm. So what would be a challenge that you could lay out for the audience that we could all try and come back and report with? I'm going to give three. Okay. <laughs> all right. So first I'm going to give a physical one. And this, this is sure. one I did a few times in my fighting days. And this, this, we used to call this a will drill as in a willpower drill. It's a, it's, it's a, and it's a fun one in the sense that you, you won't hurt yourself physically, although it's going to feel like it. Sure. So I'm what already, we, I'm already nervous. Yeah, <laughs> Where are we going with this? Yeah. So what we would do is uh, we would eat a habanero pepper. Okay. And now the first one, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. But my real my <laughs> my real challenge to people is try to eat two. Okay. I got to four in eight minutes one yeah. time. That 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 was my my uh, peak, if you will. But. Yeah, it's a level of physical pain that I mean, I've been shot literally by by a gun once, you know, and I did all kinds of stuff in fighting, but nothing hurt as much as eating the pepper. The pepper was worse than yeah, peppers were worse than getting shot. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because and this is the challenge you're giving to us. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you wanted a challenge. Here you go. So there's one. There's, there's a physical one. Might as well just go get shot. Apparently, it's better. <laughs> well, the, the problem is the pepper is gone after an hour. The, the, that's the, true. The, the, the injuries from the bullet wounds might last you for a lifetime. That's true. That's the difference. So that's one. Yeah, that's one. The second one is get out there in terms of, you know, and this is one that I've only started facing the last couple of years. And that's get out there. And that that's and and do the one you're the scared of the most. So like I'm, I'm going to launch my YouTube channel. Yeah. Probably the one I was scared about the most. I've, I've shot like 17 videos. We're just editing them right now. And you know whether it's that or getting on Facebook Live or you know writing a blog post, exposing your thoughts. Yeah. I've I've come to realize because you know all my friends are sharing it. Most of my friends are sharing it that it's a huge fear for people yeah. to put their thoughts out there. It is, yeah. It's scary, right? So that's a that's an awesome challenge. I love it. So and, what what would be kind of specifically that somebody could do? Well, write write a blog post. Write write a blog. Do post, a Facebook live of something. Do, do a Facebook live, and sure. again, share your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Not just like you know fooling around and having fun or whatever. Sure. That's cool. But actually sharing your thoughts because that's what people are scared of is to get judged. Yeah. Based on your opinion. Based on your opinion. Yeah. You know, so that that's the, the second challenge. And the last challenge is make an inventory of all the traumas, the pains, the fears, mm. the regrets, the, you know, and, and, you know, making the inventory is the first step because after that, you can get into some work, but yeah. but even making the list scares a lot of people. Oh yeah, it's, it's pretty terrifying. And then once, so I'm just thinking. So once once that inventory is made, mm-hmm. what do you recommend? Because I, I I just what I'm what I'm picturing right now is just digging up all the right. traumas and worst right. experiences of our lives, <laughs> but then just like just sitting with them. What do we do with them? Yeah, you don't want to sit with them, and, and you don't want to analyze them either. So. The most effective thing you can do is to actually start doing the forgiveness work. And again, whether you can afford neurofeedback or whether it's a, that's a different story, but to, you know, and sometimes it's forgiving yourself, right? Because mm. a lot of times it's stuff that we did to other people yeah, or what we did to ourselves, right? Yeah. And and that's really a lot of sorts of regrets. So yeah, doing some deep forgiveness work, which again, you need to, to meditate and relax and slow your brain waves down and then I'll just guide people really quick so that sure. people have a, a, a framework and again you can replay this so so here's the process so give me something and, and I'll and I'll guide you through one okay so one I was talking about earlier today mm-hmm. so I I've got a quite a fear of sure. like public speaking all right so one and what that stems from is back in college I remember I had to give a presentation to the class mm-hmm. 12 15 people mm-hmm. Topic I didn't care about, didn't like, didn't want to really give the talk, didn't want to present. But when I think about public speaking now, I go back to that day and I think, I remember my voice is quivering. My Literally, I'm standing in front of the class. My legs will not stop shaking. Okay. And so now whenever I think about it, whenever I think about speaking in front of people now, that's what I go back to. Okay, cool. Perfect. All right. So, so let's close our eyes mm-hmm. and let's go back to that moment. So I want you to replay that movie and describe the scene and you, you started doing it, but I actually want you to go back and, and go back to that moment in your head yep. and more, more importantly, emotionally. So describe a little bit what was going on. So sitting in the class, mm-hmm. I know my turn's coming up. My stomach's churning. 
Okay. I've got that feeling where it's like, oh, don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. So my turn comes up. I get up, terrified, go in front of the class. I keep looking down. My legs start shaking, extremely nervous. I start giving the, I start giving the talk. Mm-hmm. Voice is shaking throughout the whole thing. Glance up occasionally. Some people are looking. Some people aren't paying attention at all. And that's kind of where that's kind of where it ends. Okay, so, so describe the feeling that you felt at that moment. Terrified. So, Terrified. Okay. Yeah. And you, and you felt it where in your stomach? My stomach mainly. Yeah. Okay. So are you feeling it in your stomach right now as you play replay that? Yeah. Okay. Um, now what we're going to do right now? We're going to stop playing the movie. We're going to go right to your body. So go to to the most intense part of the sensation. And and again, we're just going to label it a sensation. So go to your stomach and describe to me, is it moving? Is it throbbing? How would you describe Uh, it? It feels like it's in like 38 knots. Just like 38 knots wound up really tight. Mm -hmm. Heart's beating a little faster. Okay. So stick, stick in the stomach and, and really focus on that. Now on a scale of, Zero to ten, where ten would be the most uncomfortable you could feel. Um, what level is it right now? Eight. Okay, cool. So we're going to stick with it. I want you to take a deep breath. <clears throat> so one of the things you can do is actually, this is from EFT, we're going to tap right here. This is an acupressure point. You can open your eyes just so mm-hmm. you can see where. We're going to tap tap right there. It doesn't matter really how, or you can tap here. So just keep your eyes closed, though. Keep focusing on your on your stomach, and you're gonna repeat after me. Take a deep breath. All right. Even though, even though I feel terrified in my stomach, I feel terrified in my stomach when I think of that day where I spoke publicly in university, college. When I think publicly of how I when I spoke publicly when in I college. spoke publicly in college. I deeply and completely accept myself. I completely and deeply accept myself. Even though? Even though? I feel terrified in my stomach. Even though I feel terrified in my stomach. When I think of the day I spoke publicly in college. When I think of the day I spoke publicly in college. I deeply and completely accept myself. I deeply and completely accept myself. Take a deep breath. All right, so what's the, the subjective levels of discomfort now? From one to ten, was it eight before? Is it dropped? Much, yeah. Okay. Was it now? Give me a number. Three. Okay. So now <laughs> we're we're gonna get into some forgiveness work. So what I always like to drop the the levels, like what we just did, from like an eight to three. Three is a good place to to start doing the work. So I want you to now. Was there somebody specific that was? laughing at you or that you felt judged you or was it just more all you? Just internal. Okay. So then we're going to put yourself on trial. Okay. So I want you to put that version of yourself on trial. And what we're going to do, you're going to picture a spiritual courtroom. All right. So you picture a spiritual courtroom and you're there and you're, you're seeing that younger version of yourself. And What's the charge that you're going to put on him? Like, what is the charge? Is it that he that he felt fear? Is it that he balked? Like, 
you know, what, what, what's the charge that you'd like to place on that younger version of yourself? Yeah, I would say fear, maybe lack of courage. Okay. That's good. So the charge is a lack of courage, right? So now I want you to pick, pick a guide, a spiritual guide, wherever, you know, a spiritual being can be Jesus Christ, Buddha, an archangel, whoever works for you. And he's going to be there kind of guiding you through the process. So let's go back to that moment and let's, let's replay that again a little bit, try to drum up a little more of that feeling. So you're back in college and, you know, you go back to that sensation, you're trembling, you're feeling your stomach turning in knots. Okay. You've got it. Yep. All right. So the first question is, what was the gift of that experience? What do you mean? Well, if you think back of that experience, right, there's always a gift in every experience, right? So what we want to do is is find the gift. So when you think back of that moment in college, right? And sometimes the gift is, you know, just growth or sometimes it's awareness. There's always not a direct gift, but... There's always some sort of gift. So what would be the gift that you could say you got from from that moment, from that experience? I did it even though I was uncomfortable with it. Okay. So you, you maybe you built some courage, right? Yeah. All right, cool. So that's a great gift. So I want you to feel gratitude for that. So I want you to flood your body with gratitude. Right? I want you to flood your your whole being with active appreciation of the fact that you you did it in the moment that you face the fear and that you, you did it. Awesome. So, so next we're going to move on. Take a deep breath. All right. So next I want you to, to take responsibility for your actions at that time, you know, and, you know, taking responsibility doesn't mean to beat yourself up. It just means you own it. You know, extreme ownership is another framework, if you will. But, you know, just own the fact that you were you were scared. And, you know, another part of that too is, is just understanding. Understanding that it's normal, right? It's a normal part of, of a human being to to be judged or and to fear being judged, right? Because we all want to be valued in our tribe. So go through the process of of understanding why you were scared and at the same time, you want to own it. And then the last piece is to feel compassionate, compassion for that younger version of yourself. Feel compassion for who he was, for the fact he, was, he wasn't who you are now. And again, flood your body with, with compassion. Now, if you're struggling with this, if we're struggling with any part of it, you ask your guide to help you. So when you, in your body where the stomach was 38 knots, uh, how's it feeling right now? Yeah, it's not even there really. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's the process. <laughs> As you can see, it's work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah. It's not easy. You have to go. You have, you go and just going back and feeling that pain was. Right, it's hard because yeah. I felt those knots. You know, it's like I'm not just saying it, it's like you go back to that place and it's uncomfortable. 
But how do you feel right now? But much better. Yeah. Because I was so hard on myself. Like, why? Yeah. And what you're going to notice is uh, the next time that the opportunity to speak publicly comes, yeah. the fear is going to be possibly gone, but at mm. the very least, a fraction of what it was before. Sure. So imagine doing that a hundred times with a hundred things that you've deep, not processed. Deep stuff. Deep yeah. work. Now, it's deep work. Yeah. So that's that's my challenge for everybody listening. Yeah. So do that. Do that. Listen and follow along with us and pick one thing that thanks, is a big thing. Thanks for going through that because obviously taking inventory is one thing. Mm-hmm. But actually having the tools to they can listen to listen back to this and go through the exercise with the inventory they've taken. Yeah. And we literally just did it right here and it's powerful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And then when you combine that with neurofeedback, it yeah. accelerates it. Okay. It takes like but you and just again, everybody's saying you can do it without the neurofeedback. Sure. Don't don't use this as a crutch to get out <laughs> right. of it. But it it accelerates it. So very cool. Yeah. So let's go through those one more time, the three challenges. So number one. So number one is, <laughs> and if I have arrows too much, if, 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 you're, if, if you're a wuss, eat a couple of jalapenos, sure. um, which is literally like you know, a lot less. But that's one. Second, yeah, we the one we just covered, make make a long list of the, uh, of the inventory. And the third one was to put yourself out there, whether it's Facebook, yeah. live, YouTube, get your blog post, voice your opinion. Yeah, voice your opinion. You know, and and prepare yourself for the haters. I love it. Which you probably won't get any, but yeah. But I got to tell you, from what I was doing with, like I was saying, media buying, uh-huh. which is kind of just ad arbitrage. You're looking at right. spend and spend versus revenue. It's a video game. right? Yeah, it's a video game. One thing I'm loving with everything I'm doing now is just purely the act of creation. Right. Which you're talking about with voice in your opinion. It's just it's fun to put content out in the world, yeah. which I'm sure you're getting with TV. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. I, I am. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a creative guy by nature, although like, people say you're data-driven. Right. You know, I'm, I'm really a creative guy that uses data to val- validate the creativity. Yeah. So, yeah, no, creation is the ultimate thing, man, uh, whether it's writing a song or writing a blog yeah. post or doing a podcast, right? You finish and you just you just feel good because yeah. you're... you're is con, you know consumption such a big thing right like I, and that's i think for me that was one of my main goals this year was just produce uh produce more than i consume which is simple but yeah absolutely and, and the way i look at it and this this was kind of a big awakening that i got last christmas and that's you know awareness is one of the the most precious gifts we have and awareness comes in different things, you know, and, and sometimes we're aware in one area of our lives and we're completely unaware in another one, right? Yeah. Like, and you see that you might have a guy that's an enlightened businessman, but his health is completely oh, yeah. in the gutter, right? So there's no awareness in his right. health. So for those of us that have awareness, whether it's awareness in business or awareness in health or awareness in spirituality, I feel that it's our duty it's it to to spread that to share that yeah. because it's a beautiful thing to help other human beings become awake right and we do that with podcasts and books and seminars and whatever how we can disseminate these awakened ideas again that awareness it's a beautiful beautiful thing i think that's how we make the world a better place 
I love it, man. Yeah. I'm going to respect your time, but thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. And we'll all report back to, to yeah. you on the challenges. Yeah. I want to see all those comments on the, you got it, man. On the post. Awesome. awesome. Thank you. Great. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So you can find Matt at Matt Gallant underscore TV on Twitter. That's at Matt Gallant underscore TV. And of course, all the links and resources Matt and I discussed, including more information on his story, businesses, and online courses can be found at the page we created especially for this episode. That'll be at failon.com slash 030. And next week, we are sitting down with my friend Cherie Alexander. Cherie is a speaker, writer, trainer, and coach, and is best known for revealing the powerful secrets behind conversational influence. She has personally learned the best persuasive triggers and techniques from master influencers, including CIA field agents, hostage negotiators, con artists, trial attorneys, and many more. Cherie is extremely open and vulnerable in this conversation. It's, she's an absolute gem. Don't miss it. That's coming next week. And if the podcast and show is providing value to your life, please email me at rob at and let me know what your biggest takeaway from this episode with Matt was. And as I continue to build Felon with the goal of helping employees become entrepreneurs to create absolute freedom in their lives, I'd be really grateful for a couple things that are so small but matter so much. Subscribing to the podcast takes a single click and helps the show simply get found by more people. And when people can find the show, it means it can help more people, which means in return, you are helping people by simply subscribing. To subscribe and rate and review the podcast, super simple. Just visit failon.com slash iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.